Today's episode is sponsored by Alone in the Dark. The highly anticipated new reimagination by Pieces Interactive and THQ Nordic. Play as Edward Carnby or Emily Hartwood to explore your environments, fight monsters, solve puzzles, and uncover the true secret of Dorsetto Manor. Our favorite heroes are brought to life by Hollywood stars Jodie Comer of Killing Eve and David Harbour of Stranger Things, who lend not only their voices, but their appearance and their formidable acting skills to the brave protagonists. Experience a deep psychological story that goes beyond the realms of the imaginable, all dreamed up by Mikhail Hedberg, cult horror writer of Soma and Amnesia. The team at Pieces Interactive is supported by monster designer and legendary Guillermo del Toro collaborator Guy Davis, as well as doom jazz legend Jason Conan, who provides his eerie and haunting melodies for the right atmosphere. Alone in the Dark is available March 20th on PS5, Xbox Series XS, and PC. Pre-order your copy now and escape into the dark. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. Is that all the, oh, I don't care crap? A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, BloodyDisgusting.com's Dead Pixels horror video game podcast, delivering new horrifying episodes every Saturday. I'm one of your hosts, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Pope. And today we're chatting about the continuation of the Layers of Fear series with a look at developer Bloober Team's 2019 title, Layers of Fear 2. While not a traditional sequel in that this isn't a continuation of the first game story, the game does build off the mechanics and staples of the original, once again thrusting the player into a surreal and haunting world that they must try to maneuver and understand. This time around, the player finds themselves in the shoes of an actor who's compelled to follow the commands of a mysterious and bodiless director who's filming a movie aboard a cruise liner ship. Though, as is the Layers of Fear way, the player will explore a past and present version of the ship. As Layers of Fear 2 was ported to the Nintendo Switch this week, which reminded me that it's been on my back catalog for quite a while, so I thought we could chat about it and uh, whether or not the game is a successful continuation of uh, the Layers of Fear franchise. So Neil, I think the only real place to start is your feelings on sort of walking simulators in general. This is not as much recently, but over the years, walking simulators have kind of been this contentious point in terms of the discussion of games and sort of Are games an art form? What does it actually mean to be a game in the modern age and these things? So I'm curious, kind of, how have you found past walking simulators? First, categorize it more as being a narrative-led experience. I think it's the best way to put it. Walking simulators, as it is, is technically true, but it also feels like a slur on that sort of type of game. And it's 
I think mainly came about during the time of games like Gone Home because it was uh, you know the first of this bunch of games like that which sort of pushed more you know, liberal and open-minded ideas into these games which you know there are a certain portion of people out there that don't like that sort of thing so <laughs> they were so yeah that sort of became the de facto knock-on for it so yeah but you get it you know you understand it it's basically games that don't have guns normally it is usually the <laughs> Right. Uh, suddenly meaningless to a portion of the audience who, you know, that's a whole other conversation about this, you know, medium as a whole where, you know, guns seem to be pretty much, uh, or weaponry has to be in things in almost every other game, uh, you know, that tells a story. So yes, I have no problem with them at all. I think there are many great ones, you know, including the uh, predecessor to this game, uh, which is like one of my favourite horror games of the last generation you know it was uh, very good you know obviously the Amnesia games as we've discussed before have done that, that sort of thing and the penumbra ones before that and um, we could go frictional 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 there to say that they are a, a big part of that sort of thing but also games like uh, What Remains of Edith Finch which again you know whilst it tells a wide range of stories it has some horror parts including a very creep show that's part in there as well which is really good um yeah, so there's all sorts of ways to tell it. I just remembered another one. Uh, I was about to say what remains of Ethan Carter. It's the vanishing of Ethan Carter. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> which is another one, which is like, you know, it's a beautiful game to go through. And uh, I don't know, one of the things I like in, in many first person games is the exploration anyway, and, and sort of taking in an environment and letting it tell you its story. And I think these games boil it down to just that, you know, it's giving you the story, you know, you don't have to pad it out with, you know, hours of shooting fiends and goons and whatever but and that's good you know I think that it's a different way to go about things and it opens up to people who don't really have want to be getting on with combat and stuff you know many people have got into games because of this whole subgenre of t- games you know um, it's also why as we've said before horror games became mainstream again it's while you know the Bigger side of the industry was letting it go. Uh, independent developers were taking this sort of well, what's more scary than games where you are relatively defenseless, you know, and you know you'd have just your wits about you to to deal with the horrors of this. And then, of course, we had the games like the the Penumbras, the Outlasts, the, the Amnesias, and all those. And you know, Layers of Fear was very much a latecomer in the, in that one, but of very refined, very good one that I think, you know, a few places really dug and I was one of them, you know. I think it's, you know, for, as far as that uh, genre goes, it sticks closer to the original idea of what a, you know, a walking simulator is. It's, you know, you, there's no fail state, mm-hmm. you know, really. It's uh, an experience and you're to get through it to hear the story, you know, which is an interesting twist comes into this game, you know, Les Vier 2, is that that starts to become more like other horror games like Outlast and Amnesia where there is a fail state and yeah. that's probably going to be a point of contention I think when we, when we discuss it further but yeah <laughs> Surely yeah and I think that for me what I've always appreciated is the defenseless nature of them and that it really forces you to soak in the environment and the sort of environmental storytelling that goes across and it's one of those things where it's like nothing is distracting you from that so you basically know within the first probably 30 minutes whether this style of game is for you right because either you're going to gravitate towards those narrative elements and that freedom to a certain extent in exploring an environment and picking apart different pieces of uh 
like clues and things like that that help to sort of piece together the story that goes on with more often than not, it's an environment that you are arriving to after an event, right? One of them that I think uh, comes to mind is something like uh, everyone has gone to the rapture where basically you are exploring this uh, valley, I believe, where these people were residing after they have all essentially raptured. And so you're basically piecing together those sort of individual narratives and these backstories and things. And while that's not really a traditional horror in the sense that layers of fear is, I still like that it incorporates a lot of like horrifying elements that either come to pass, whether they're supernatural or whether it's sort of just revealing things about people in general. Um, Even something like Firewatch, which again is not a horror game, but it has a mystery angle to it that I feel they lean into in a way that given that you are defenseless and also the idea that you are sort of on your own and isolated and you're kind of exploring this unknown area, you feel vulnerable in a way that while, yeah, you are defenseless, it's not as if there are things attacking you, you still feel vulnerable in this exploration of this sort of strange world. And that's an element of these types of games that I really appreciate. And I think the original Layers of Fear really built off of that in a way that makes for a more traditional, literal haunted house experience, kind of like what we got um, with something like Gone Home, right? There's sort of that, is the house haunted, is it not, for a majority of the game? And then getting to see the sort of personification of that with Layers of Fear, which very literally becomes a haunted house in a lot of ways. Um, And it, again, it's a defenseless uh, exploration narrative game that I think really capitalizes a lot of elements that are more geared towards the narrative puzzle side of things rather than like, oh, we have to avoid these enemies or something like that, which would be like the more traditional sort of horror haunted house experience. Yeah, I think this is um, important for the original Layers of Fear that it is this, you know, very stripped down, you know, you are being pushed through the game rather than you pushing your way through it in a way. And I think that works quite superbly in that game as a result and just to sort of give a bit of background history on Bluebird before this game you know before the original Layers of Fear you know they'd had an absolute bomb of a game in a a game called Basement Crawl or Crawl or whatever it was there that was like a bomb-esque like horror-y type thing and it was like it was panned badly you know and they, they really took it to heart and then they went back remade that game better you know, uh, repackaged it as a new thing, and it was better, and that sort of spurred them on to start getting this. And you know, they're a studio that loves horror and loves to explore that. You know, the, you can see it for all the way they've gone through since then. You know, they, you know, with Layers of Fear Two, with Observer, which is a bit more sci-fi horror, and then you had the Blair Witch game, and then you had um, this year's The Medium, you know, which is, you know, but they finally sort of shifted out of the first-person medium. Yeah, so they smartly found their sort of niche. You know. In, in that uh, thing and they stuck with it quite well I think yeah and I think that with Layers of Fear and Layers of Fear 2 the concept of both of these games is not necessarily the most revolutionary in terms of horror right this idea it's a tortured artist and it's very much a psychological horror as much as it is a haunted house but at the same time they still really understand how to exploit that first person perspective that you're in throughout exploring these things they know just the right amount of narrative lengths where it's like okay i'm going to be in this area i have to solve this puzzle or i'm going to pick up one of these artifacts which is an element that kind of returns from the original layers of fear this thing where you'll find certain items and when you pick them up it triggers essentially an audio log right which gives you backstory on yourself other characters or an event that occurred that's tied to the location and 
they just really have a fantastic way of sort of pacing these games. And I think they did it fairly well in terms of moving on from Layers of Fear to Layers of Fear 2 and just the ways in which they manipulate the environment to the ways that we get these nice story beats. And then we get, of course, a jump scare, which I think the original game was paced really to perfection in that regard. It wasn't, I think a lot of times, when you, especially when you're talking indie horror, there is a seems like an over-reliance on those kind of cheap jump scares, which we've talked about in the past, right? This idea that, oh, well, in the first-person perspective, if something jumps at you, you're going to make the player jump. But again, as we know, that only works when you use it sparingly. It's much to uh, with film, right? Any Films get panned all the time when it's nothing but jump scares or cheap jump scares. And after a while, it just becomes cheap and played out. And that was something about the original game that I was impressed by and that they strayed away from that. There are jump scares throughout the game, but I felt that the way it was constructed was it used them just at the right moments. And of course, the ways in which they manipulate the environments and things like that, that really tie into the player's psyche. Um, but I guess with Layers of Fear 2, what do you think, like, how do you think the continuation of this sort of tortured artist trope, if you will, how do you think that they sort of went from adapting it to being a painter in the original to in this, it's all about the the world of film and you play, obviously, an actor and on the set of this movie being filmed on this ocean liner. Yeah, it's interesting they kept the sort of thematic thing going on and, you know, it's about the art. You know, and uh, it's fascinating that they do this whole repeat, in a way, while still making it feel fairly different. You know, mm. for better or worse, you know, I think it, it does a lot of things better in terms of they've learned their lessons going from game to game but you know I think where Bloober had a lot of sort of safe success with, with uh, Layers of Fear and then Observer you know which were their own very ambitious first time projects and they worked because they stuck to what they wanted to know you know even if you didn't agree with the flaws in it all they worked for, to, to on the base level with Layers of Fear 2 it is once it becomes apparent that you are going to be going through the same sort of thing you know you you do start to wonder, well, you know, is it really going to be supernatural when you know the last game has pretty much told us mm, this is what it's about, and this you, get, you know really it's all just you know personification of this artist's mind and how he feels about things. And I suppose you could give uh, the sequel credit for sort of trying to subvert that towards the end by leaving it a bit more open-ended mm-hmm. to it and uh, giving you different endings that sort of. Uh, you know, you give you that chance to say, "Oh, this is how it is," or "This is why it is." And I mean, there is like a true ending which keeps closer to the original games, the sort of mantra of like the tortured artist and uh, you know the lengths they'll go to, and what the cost is of pursuing your art. You know, it's like which is you know, an interesting sort of thing to hang a game on, anyway. But yeah, I I think repetition of that doesn't quite work as well this time around just because they stray too far from it in certain ways uh, for the aforementioned thing which is um, you know, combat isn't, oh, isn't there no that's fine but the whole being chased thing now is, is now a thing I mean, the first layer of fear as we were saying is very much about perspective and you know going through these things things happening around you and you sort of having to take them in and uncover the story whilst all this creepy shit starts happening every time you turn it literally almost every time you turn your head something has changed each time which is I, you know, I think when 
people criticise the game, that's why. Because they say, oh, there's too much of that, you know, it shouldn't be ever done. But I think that's it, it should be as constant. Like, because you wouldn't really notice it every time if, if you didn't just notice it. Oh, that happened, now that happened, now that happened. But you, you do still miss stuff. It's a bit more reined in in Layers of Fear 2 and in the way they're trying to do it. I think they try to, uh, you know, incorporate a wider spectrum of the medium of movies, you know, into it than they did with the first game where it was you know, quite uh, very much about a painting. Mm. And while Layers of Fear 2 is very much about a film, it's not. You know, it's about something else entirely, it seems, you know, and pays homage to films that, you know, depending, you know, with this being a period piece, films that have not appeared yet and films that have appeared at that point. So it's it's interesting, that one, but I wonder if maybe it just felt like they were going, oh, I would like to have a few more of these film references in, and as you know, clever and cool as they are, and some of them are really subtle, and I think we had an article on Bloody Disgusting at the time from Andrew King, who reviewed it, the game, um, where he picked out a lot of these references. You know, there's like a 30-minute reference to Seven, you know, where they're pretty much murder by murder, you know, in certain, like, there's the shot going down into the basement of that place, and it's exactly the same, and it's like, I think there's a Fight Club reference, it's obviously a very blatant trip to the moon you know, <laughs> thing, and... Uh, the Shining. Yeah, the Shining, yeah, appears multiple times in there as well, and it, even a Wizard of sort of knockoff poster, stuff like that, and it's it's cool the way they do it, because, you know, they don't make it totally blatant with all of them. But, yeah, some of them are a bit like, oh, we really just wanted to have this from this in here. Yeah, so two things. I think, for me, I found Layers of Fear 2 to be the less frightening of both games. But that's because the intention behind this sequel, or the continuation of Layers of or not a continuation, but the next game in the Layers of Fear universe, it doesn't feel like it is constructed as just a haunted house on a boat it feels much more interested in kind of speaking to like the idea of identity in this actor and this idea that like i think the the quote was uh, he must build the character he was meant to portray and it really is about sort of taking in all these different experiences and different sort of clues to the background that your character might or might not have the background of the boat events that occurred before you got there or occurred uh, sometime after And it's more about crafting your own narrative almost. And I feel that this is a much more ambiguous narrative being told. And But there are enough pieces that are engaging and there's enough sort of evidence that the player is really able to sort of craft their own story in a lot of ways, right? Whereas I think, to your point, the original Layers of Fear, it was much more sort of this straightforward tortured artist thing. Oh, is this really supernatural or is this just the true cost of this person pursuing their art? And in terms of the references... Yeah, there are tons of references. It's clear that this is a game that's made by obviously horror fans first and foremost, but also film fans, right? And we met, you mentioned all of these litany of movie references, but I got to a point in the game and I'm curious your thoughts on it. How do we feel about them recreating sort of entire scenes from movies? Like you had mentioned with Seven, right? That's almost a 30 minute segment of the game. And I got to the end of that segment and I was thinking to myself, Sure, it's cool to get to see them recreate scenes from or references from our some of our favorite films. But then I was thinking, well, this is a 30-minute chunk of this game. I almost would have wished that they had included more originality into some of these moments rather than just sort of recreating these moments that we enjoy. Like, for me, when I see little Easter eggs or references, I like them to be 
brief little things and to experience them in these long chunks. I don't know. How did you find that? Because I was very uh, I was very mixed on that. Yeah, I'm with you in the, in the sense that having little nods to things is cool and lets you sort of discover it at your own pace most of the time where you can mm. sort of maybe catch, you know, some of the parts of this that do that are really good. You know, they, they really do just have these very, like the Wizard of Oz style poster. It's just there and it's, you know, you only get it if you sort of remember certain aspects of that kind of poster that it was. There's a like one to the ring, which is quite you know fairly subtle by that standards. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think it's it doesn't need to be as long as it is in certain areas. I think where I get that they're trying to do that and they want it to be about this movie in particular, but it doesn't fit the time period for a start, mm. and it doesn't really fit the story. Mm. You know, and it's like it feels like they bolted that on to the story itself because they wanted to do it rather than you know build that from the ground up as being part of the story and I think it's not the only time that happens you know and I think which is a shame I, I can understand they're trying to pad the game a little more maybe just try and make it that little bit longer because you know they're both short games these days yeah. which is fine because it's perfect sort of length for what they are but this they sort of it does end up dragging the runtime longer than it should be you know I mm. think it's I think could do with being about an hour shorter uh, just to sort of make it punchier and get to the point. I think some of it is designed to be in there just to sort of discombobulate you from reaching the logical conclusion that oh it's just the same thing as last time then like that so you know a lot of it sort of twists and turns this way and that to sort of go well it could be about this about this method actor getting into the spirit of this tragic real life story or it could be about uh, allude to in one story where the you are you know, you are the person that is described in this story. You're uncovering you know, this, these tragic children, and the only way you can deal with your pain is to be an actor and pretend to be someone else. Or, mm-hmm. And it's like, or the more supernatural side of thing where you, you know, you know sacrifice yourself to the Rat Queen and <laughs> in the hope of seeing your sister again. And yeah, you know, the, the Rat thing being a, a sort of intertwining thing with the original game as well, where rats were you know, a constant source of terror for the protagonist you know, and uh, almost a psychological thing for his uh, increasing madness whereas here I suppose that they are like a, the same sort of thing and if you take it from that idea where you're sort of trying to make a deal with this rat queen is that uh, you know that would be you giving into the madness you know like if you're carrying on the sort of thematic thing from the, the previous game but I, I, maybe it didn't need free endings I think in that regard I, I get the ambiguous thing but I think the ambiguous thing is what pads the game out with having these sort of sort of cul-de-sacs that they get themselves into trying to sort of add to the story in different ways and make it ambiguous where it didn't need to be and I, I can get that I, I mean I get that you don't you're afraid to sort of do the exact same game again but with a different setting because mm. you know that's going to get you you know in trouble and I think the game probably benefits from the fact that it does go the way it does. It just means you have to get it right, though. I think it doesn't quite get it right. You know, it's but on the other side of that, you can applaud the ambition for trying to do something different and trying to sort of find their feet with that. And you know, that's that's the blue away. I think with a lot of their games, they have stuff that works, they have stuff that doesn't, but they're not 
worried about it they'll, they'll try uh, mm-hmm. and see how it goes if it doesn't work fine we'll try something else and it's true in this it's true in Observer which you know to the point where they learned with Observer what didn't work and went back and did the Redux version which you know pretty much corrects a lot of the problems with that game and makes it you know from like, it's cult classic to you know being you know a, a classic in its own right and yeah I think even the medium suffered from this as well, where you know it had very divisive moments you know, in, in terms of how it was structured story-wise and uh, how it tried to manipulate the players uh, with its narrative. But yeah, it, it's, it is what it is. I appreciated the more subtle, obviously, references like seeing uh, "Sweets to the Sweet," which is obviously a Candyman reference, and I mean Tony Todd himself does the voice for the uh, director of this game. And there's even like a killing joke reference in there, right? When you have to kind of run across the beam of light and you have to trust that there's a bridge there to get to the other side. Little moments like that. But then, like I said, this idea that a 30-minute stretch of the game is essentially just running around recreated scenes from a favorite film. I was just, I was put off by it because I was like, this is so out of place with the sort of immersion into this new uh, for lack of a better phrase, like haunted house at sea. And it really took me out of it in a way that I found to be very just disjointing for the story. And I think you're right about this game could have been at least an hour shorter. But I also think that the longer time that we spend in this haunted house at sea, it really allows the increased production value to be displayed in a way that I still found these sort of glimmers and these moments that stood out to me, even if maybe necessarily they didn't fit within the context of the narrative or rather it was exploring these sort of new gameplay avenues which we'll get into in a little bit but i really appreciated just the wider range of voice acting the quality of the writing was just the same as if not better than i thought in layers of fear the original and it just felt like a much more polished narratively speaking in terms of the relic items and sort of the dialogue that went along with them and i found that that was very engaging and it built a bond with characters that we would never meet or characters that we wouldn't meet until the very end of the game and that being mostly Lily and James the two children that you sort of are learning about their tale through whether it's uh notes that the security guards on the ocean liner are leaving for one another this idea oh there's stowaways oh there's people stealing food we need to like search for them oh I saw somebody at the in the lower levels and I almost got them but they got away the writing that's associated with that and also just the performances of the actors that embody Lily and James and hearing their voices and hearing sort of the their traumatic past, but also sort of how they're adapting to their current predicament. It, for me, it really b- built a bond with characters that we wouldn't meet until much later in the game. Um, and I think that that's just a testament to like Layers of Fear 2's ability to kind of just increase, again, the production value so much from the original game. Because while I liked the writing in the original game, I never felt that I was building a bond with some of these characters that we would never meet or that weren't about the primary character themselves. I don't know if that was maybe the length of those audio segments for those characters, but for me and with Layers of Fear 2, it just felt like they expanded upon these characters that are bodiless throughout the game in a way that it made them seem like people in a way that maybe they didn't necessarily come across in the original. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree there. That it is a more fleshed out cast in that regard and I think obviously the problem with um, the first game is that the protagonist is uh, reprehensible at the mm-hmm. end of it all you know he's yeah. not caring about his own family to the point of destruction mm-hmm. and the uh, DLC for that game you know, sort of further drives that home when you view it from his daughter's viewpoint and, and how bad it got 
uh, which that DLC, by the way, is very good. You know, it uh, does sort of accentuate that story very well. It could have easily gone in the game and been all right, I think. But you know, um, you get why they'd sort of go for a straightforward narrative. Um, yeah, here I think, as you were saying, with the production value of this, is uh, Bluebird have always done really well with very little. You know, they, they've they know how to do striking imagery. Again, this comes back to the love of horror. They they frame things really well you know, in a very unsettling manner like the use of mannequins throughout this game for instance you know that some of the uh, things they pull off with that is really impressive you know especially with that and the lighting you know it, it's just remarkable what they do with that and I think throughout that that's, it was always the thing that made me persevere through the game even when it sort of started to grate on me at points was that um, there was always something coming that would be like wow this is cool to look at I really and sort of draws you in again and I think especially when it goes to things that are more you know what its story is trying to tell rather than jumping to go and say hey here what film's this what film's this and I think uh, the lighting and just the the way the game looks I mean I played on PS4 and it had the rare option where I had the choice to unlock the frame rate it was either you can lock it in at 30 or just unlock it and while it might have made my uh, my PS4 sound like a uh, fighter jet taking off the entire time I played it, uh, it just further enhanced just the way the game looks, which further helped me to kind of get immersed into this very claustrophobic but now isolated setting in a way that just, it blew me away. I mean, this is a last-gen game, but it just, it looks gorgeous from start to finish, and I think that that helped, but to bring this environment to life, this newer environment, but also just, it really does, again, like you had said, it does a lot with very little. I think there were definitely less jump scares and more traditional scares in this game than in the previous one, and yet it's still a very atmospheric game, and I think that, like you had said, with the mannequins, they use them, it's frequently used in terms of the manipulation of them, but I was very surprised that there was not an egregious amount of moments where a mannequin lunges at you or something like that. Of course, there are moments like that throughout the game, of course, you can't not have moments like that, but it was more about the ways in which they're able to manipulate them. Like in one instance, you're walking through the rafters and then you hear something and you turn around and there's a there's a trail of mannequins behind you that are frozen that weren't there a minute ago. Little things like that that aren't jump scares, they still are very unsettling and unnerving in a way that I appreciate. And it shows the different ways in which they really make this one prop. They're able to make that last throughout the entire game and it feels fre- it doesn't feel fresh, but it doesn't feel played out. It doesn't feel like we're kind of just, we get it, right? I think that was an issue with the original Layers of Fear. By the end of that game, you were so used to some kind of ghostly apparition jumping in your face almost at every turn by the end of it. Um, and I think that this, the scares in Layers of Fear 2, they just, it, it's more about exploring this dilapidated environment that is obviously a representation sort of of getting into the role, but it doesn't feel like it is a sort of like a cheap haunted house by the end of it, which I appreciate. Yeah, and, you know, to the setting itself, being... Uh, largely, you know, on this deserted ship is perfect. I love that as a setting anyway in horror, you know, and in anything, you know. It's like I think of, uh, even in Uncharted 3's whole thing on a cruise liner, I think of Resident Evil Revelations, um, especially, you know, things like that, films like Ghost Ship. I like the idea of, like, haunted boats, oh, even Man of Medan from the Dark Pictures as well, which is pretty much entirely set on a, a ghost ship that isn't a ghost ship. <laughs> you know, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I so I'm always fascinated on places like that, just because 
as the sort of places you like to explore anyway like you know you know the basic structure of what they should be I don't know maybe I would like if they'd reined it in a little more on when it starts becoming other things and other worldly yeah. and I, I know that's obviously layers of this thing you know that you, you are making the environment unsettlingly unlike what it should be in reality but uh, I don't know <laughs> It just with this, you know, I've gone through so many mansions and big houses in the games. I don't, I don't really care if that that changes in, mm-hmm. in perspective. Uh, whereas this, it's like I like I'd like to sort of explore more of the boat itself rather than just be pushing into these sort of things that could be in anything. You know, you know, the boat is literally a vessel, you know, for everything you know that going on in the game. So, I, you know, I understand why. It's just you know that, that's a very personal thing of just like I like to explore the boat. <laughs> I felt the same way, though, by the end of the game, because I think when every single room, or it feels like every single room, is just this sort of otherworldly portrayal of sort of an other world, it kind of wore off on me in a lot of ways, because I was like, okay, I almost wanted, we mentioned a Shining reference earlier in the game, I almost wanted it to be like just exploring as if you were walking around the Overlook Hotel and just exploring the different halls and things like that, something more grounded, and then maybe playing up the supernatural angle or maybe bringing out more of sort of the horrors of man in a way where throughout just reading a room in terms of the way the environment is constructed and it's a very normal room and yet something horrific occurred there more than likely. It was something that I felt a lot of the boat for me at the end of the game, it kind of just felt like a haunted house where every single room had a haunting in it, which is never the case most of the time, right? It's mostly like, oh, I'm going to wander around a couple rooms and then this is a room that defies logic. And then I move right back to something that is more in line with reality because you're not expecting it then. But when every single room has something that is otherworldly, it's almost like, yeah, I'm expecting this. So it's the spectacle is wearing off on me, as it were, to the point where when I found a room or a section of the boat that was just a normal hallway or a normal cabin, I almost wanted to explore every inch of it even more so because I was like, oh, okay, this is something that's a little more grounded. And then that, I think that pacing is lost for me a little bit, just because by the end of the game, okay, this room is upside down. This room is black and white, but then it's every single instance when you're going in somewhere. So you're expecting it. So it loses a lot of sort of the shock and awe that I think the, I think the middle act of the game for me was probably the weakest just because it was that it was just a hundred percent supernatural. And it's also the one area of the game where I think you keep revisiting a certain environment when you're finding those keys and you're going through the rafters of this theater and then you have to crawl into a vent that takes you down to, I think that was supposed to be their childhood home, right? Lillian James's. So there's sort of this like recurring loop nature that I thought in the third act made it seem like it was far longer than it actually was. Um, That doesn't really help with that problem for me. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to what you were saying about the, uh, you know, use of scares and jump scares how you know it hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the priceline app today your savings are waiting go to your happy place for a happy price Happy price, price line. This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. 
Get in, loser. Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. If done right, it works, but you need to put the work in to make the jump scare work. Yeah. You can't just do it out of nowhere with no sort of craft to it. And that's what it feels like. It feels like you're not you're not putting the vegetables with your meal here. You know, you're not you're not adding the, the sustenance to everything else. You need this nutrition to make the rest of it taste good. You know, and it's, it's yeah. Apologies to anyone that doesn't like vegetables, um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it needs that sort of build up. You know, a good scare, a good unsettling moment needs to be built up properly we've discussed this a few times now with games on the podcast but Amnesia Rebirth was a very good example of that where it's like there are sections of that where the build up to a dread moment or a scare is done so well that it's remarkable you know and um, and even last week when we were talking about uh, Resident Evil Village it's the same. We were, we were talking about House Beneviento and how it, it just masterfully cranks up the, the uncertainty. And that in itself is a, you know, a microcosm of this kind of game, you know, where you're defenseless, you are going around doing puzzles and having to run from things like that. And that is a great example of how you do it right, you know, which is, you know, I, I know that obviously budgets are different and everything, but that's stuck in for an hour or two in the middle of a, a seven, eight hour game. You know, it's mm-hmm. here, they try to pack a lot of that sort of stuff into, like you said, an hour or so uh, of a very short run time. And it, it gets, yeah, tracks it down a bit, unfortunately. You know, it's like, it's not that they're not presenting it well, so to speak. It's just they're not doing the necessary work and build up to make it, um, you know, hit something that really didn't sit right with me or maybe it was something that i wish they had done a better job of doing was in layers of fear i really found in the original i found that i got a sense of the geography of the house that you're in and obviously a house is a much smaller environment than a cruise liner but at the same time like the house itself very much became a character in and of itself because you become so familiar with it and you see various changes occurring throughout the course of the game not just to your studio which is essentially like the hub that you come into in between each act, which Layers of Fear 2 borrows to a certain extent, right? You're always going back to your room, and then the room is reflective of whatever environment you were just exploring with uh, throughout the five acts of the game. But I never got a true sense of the, the ship or a segment of the ship, right? And I'm curious how that sat with you, because something about the original Layers of Fear I liked so much is that I felt like I conquered the house, which was essentially your prison for the course of the game, whereas... I never got a true sense of just like the cruise liner itself. And I don't know, for whatever reason, it made me feel like I was kind of just on this endless quest throughout these acts. And then I'd always end up back at my room. But the ship itself never really became a character in the same way that the house was in the first one for me. How did you how did you find that in terms of just the significance of the ship? I felt, again, like Lairs of Fear 1, the house itself was very significant to its story, whereas... The cruise liner, yeah, it's a movie being shot on a boat, but I almost felt like this could have been replaced with you just being on this haunted movie lot. Yeah, very much so. And uh, I think it needs something a bit different. That regard. I get that they're tying it together with the, you know, it, it comes depending on which story uh, you're believing in. Again, it, this 
draws back to that problem with having multiple endings and trying to broaden the game's plot to suit all of them. You know, if one of them is basically where, you know, he's just shutting out all his memories so you'd understand that the boat is very disjointed and it has illogical, you know, bits mm. that don't make sense and there's too much... And then sometimes it overloads him and then you just get a constant barrage of unnatural things that break up his uh, illusion of this boat. That would be perfect. That would make sense completely. But that's only one ending. You know, uh, you know, it doesn't work with the other two endings, and yet it still is a part of the story that you are told. And that goes on throughout. It's like if he is this actor hiding it all in and trying to do that, you know, and or method acting. You could also sort of explain the vagueness of uh, you know, method acting their way through this story they don't really know, and it being a bit piecemeal, but again it doesn't quite connect then later when you do have this barrage of different things going on so yeah I think it would work if that it had a clear through line to an ending and didn't sort of branch out for the sake of branching out and I think that something that Layers of Fear 2 also does that I was not that initially I thought I was optimistic about but the longer the game goes on it became sort of a sore spot for me and you had mentioned it earlier are those chase segments where this sort of like bubbly ghost chases you. And I have to say the first time that happens and you're running through this set and then you basically have to like open up these metal sliding doors that look like they're on a cattle car. You have to slam them behind you. They lock and then it protects you for like 10 seconds before the monster breaks through. I thought the first instance of that was really great just because of how unexpected it was because of that was nothing like that was in the original right that was not a facet of it and I thought that that was really effective and it comes down to also like the sound design where it sounds like it's right behind you it's kind of like that segment in Resident Evil Village that we talked about where you're getting chased and it sounds like it's nipping at your heels this was the same thing for me and especially because it was so unexpected but then they sort of revert back to that a couple more instances and it never capitalized on it in the same way that it does the first time. And I found that also there's like a couple instances where you essentially have to die before you realize, oh, and I think that that's because the ways in which they play with the environment and geography and like how if you turn around, something looks different all of a sudden. There were a couple instances where I think you have to die almost to realize, oh, I can't go this way. It's not viable. I have to turn around and something changes. And you only learn that really if you die the first time that you encounter it. Yeah, because that, you know, in the previous game, you had the leisure and luxury to be able to turn around and figure this out for yourself without really anything coming at you. When, when you're having to think on your feet, you're not, it's out of your mind straight away. You're not thinking about, oh, well, the environment's going to change. It's like, they expect me to go on this set piece to go da-da-da-da there through this. And, you know, I think it just throws too much at you. You know, and once fine I get it it would make a very cool panicky set piece sequence mm-hmm. didn't need to keep happening simple as I it really didn't at that point I think you could have had the illusion of it being a menace but it's pretty much always the same kind of things and yeah it again it's not its fault that it came out beforehand in this one but going back to Anuja Rebirth of how it handles such things and if you do fail it isn't kicking you out of the narrative to think oh well I have to think of this so it moves you on in a thematic way um, but yeah just it felt like someone had said to them oh well you should have this stuff in your game and they took it out on board and did it and fair enough that's what they felt was needed 
and as you, you were just saying, it works to, to a degree with the first instance of it, but you can tell they're not used to doing it. You know, mm-hmm. and not used to sort of programming with chase stuff. I think the medium again and the Blair Witch also show where they're still not quite grasping it. it it's cool in certain moments, but it gets annoying. You know, Blair Witch doesn't feel like it learns anything from Layers of Fear Two. Almost at the points where it just, I sort of got a bit disillusioned with that game for a bit because it's like where it initially has this very creepy. Thing that everything that I loved about you know, Blair Witch Project is there, it then suddenly just becomes uh, okay. I've got to be able to see that thing and keep it in the talks like, uh, like that. Okay, and it just becomes a chore. I think their games are best when they don't focus on things like that and just fuck with your head without having to have that you know, constant presence stalking you. Yeah, I think this. I can equate this sort of to a problem that I had with like early two thousand stealth games, right? If you Sam Fisher and you get spotted, all of a sudden the mission just ends right there and you have to restart, right? And with this, this is something that I think Amnesia Rebirth really solved in a way for these sort of defenseless uh, survival horror games in that just because you get caught or saw, the game doesn't end or the current life doesn't end, I mean. And that's something that I think every single stealth uh, survival horror game that sort of has a large uh, emphasis on stealth needs to learn to creatively adapt to their specific game. It's something that they need to find a solution that it does not bring the game to a screeching halt because there was one... I mean, I spent five and a half hours, I think, with Layers of Fear 2, and there was two or three sections of it where I kept dying because I was not thinking like, oh, it was all completely my error, but again, the game is putting too much on you in that one moment where you panic because something shows up, so immediately you die or you run down the wrong corridor or something to that extent because the geography has changed. But then on the fourth or fifth try of that, again, I'm just pissed and I'm just annoyed. And it's like, well, okay, I want to move past this because this is not only is this not some type of gameplay mechanic that I haven't seen elsewhere, it's hindering me wanting to experience more of the narrative, which is the only part of the game that I think it really excels at moving on from the original layers of fear. Gameplay-wise... I really don't think anything introduced in Layers of Fear 2 from a gameplay perspective that's different from the original was needed. I didn't think any of those chase sequences are needed, even if that one segment worked for me. I also don't like the, I guess it's an extension of a chase sequence, but these moments where there's these, uh, it's either a light or it's like gusts of wind or flames that kills you. I didn't enjoy any of those segments. There's this one where you're running through a hedge maze and you have to sort of duck into these little um, these little hollowed out trees to dodge a beam of light that's shining down. I didn't enjoy any of those segments. And I thought that those segments just felt out of place. And it was kind of like, this doesn't really aid the narrative, which has always been the focus of these games. Or rather, it's been the strongest element of Bloober Games' games. I mean, that's why you want to play their games. I'm, I don't... It's, it's very confusing to me why they would include these sort of these rather trite gameplay mechanics or trite gameplay sections that there's no indication anybody needs them and their games do not need that. I, I think maybe it's just a passion to get it right at this point. I, don't know, I think like I said, this was really the first attempt at it and clearly they didn't put them off despite it being uh, you know, a criticism of the game uh, over time. But yeah, so uh, clearly they, they want to get it right and I think they're getting there I think the medium did it 
better. You know, it started doing it a bit better. There's stealthy bits in it, and they work, and it has its own. You know, and it's a bit more forgivable in that game because that game is ambitious in different ways and works in different ways. But yeah, it. I think at this point you sort of have to say, okay, yeah, it's there, it's part of it. You know, I think. What can you do about it at that point? It, I, it's not quite like uh, frictional where the, uh, they had this criticism of Soma, you know, where the enemies were putting people off the experience, and you know that inspired them to end up going the route they did. We're having that mode where you they aren't such a problem, and then you know, through to Rebirth being this game that it is, and you know, Blue had been quite smart up until this point, sort of learning how other developers have done stuff, and then adding their own sort of touch to it like that and that's maybe one thing they could have sort of learned to sort of wait as, and maybe they will you know with whatever they do next um, maybe they will sort of learn from that uh, from what Amnesia Rebirth does and make if you're going to have things stalking you and chasing you and death scenes and things like that make it smoother and more integral to the experience yeah yeah and I think there is a safe mode in Layers of Fear 2 if I'm not mistaken but when you get the option to select one or the other, which is just kind of like the way it was shipped, or safe mode, it says the original version that's not safe mode, this is the way the game was intended to be played. So I was like, okay, sure, I'll play it, obviously the way the developers intended it, but I'm now thinking I would have probably enjoyed it more had I played the safe mode, because it's this idea, it's not going to slow down my progression to get to the bits that I enjoy so much. But something that we've been talking about in terms of the changing of perspectives and sort of changing the geography at a moment's notice, the moments that are removed from those chase sequences or from those elements where you kind of have to think on your feet, I still think that they're used very well. I would, I would say that it it is a gimmick at this point, right? It is a gimmick of the Layers of Fear games because they use it so often, but it is effectively done, I think. And there's one instance in particular that I really, really liked, which was there's a puzzle where you have to essentially like water the shadow of a plant, which is a recurring thing. But to get into that room, it's a locked room. You have to peer through the peephole. And then you look in the room, you can see that what's in there. You're like, oh, this is strange. And then when you back away from the peephole, you turn around and you're already inside the room. Like little moments like that I really, really like because it's unexpected. It's playing with the first person perspective in an interesting way. And I just wish that there had been more moments like that. But at the same time, I think when you have a moment to real, there's no real stakes. You're just exploring. I think that's used really, really well too. Yeah, and I, I love that sort of thing. You know, with uh, perspective-based puzzles, uh, the game Superliminal does that really well. Where you, the game is basically about, depending on your perspective, is how you solve a puzzle, you know, and how the, the environment looks. And it's great, and what it does, it's very short, but it works and doesn't have to stay as welcome. Really fun to do, but it's not so much about narrative, whereas this is. And it kind of has to serve the narrative a bit more. I think they, in, they incorporate it quite well here, and I think it, they are really good at that. And I think they've shown over several games that you know, fucking with the player's head is their favourite thing to do, and they're good at it. That's it. It's like no matter what criticisms I can have of some of their games, that is always my favourite part of it. Is when they sort of mess with you in different ways. You know, like I was saying about Blair Witch, as you know for all its problems when it does the Blair Witch stuff really well and just puts stuff where it wasn't I mean that's the perfect I don't know before it came out that, I always said that was the perfect developer to do that kind of 
game because you know you think of Blair Witch Project and all that it's about stuff appearing when it shouldn't be there and stuff that shouldn't make sense we're also going around this forest that doesn't make sense we're looping over ourselves these are all blue between qualities you know yeah. and they do those bits really well uh, they really do and uh, it, it just it's a carry through for all their games I think that no matter what happens with them and how they're received I think that always at least makes them interesting even if they aren't you know, particularly great at times absolutely yeah they're able to really kind of make the most mundane of areas of an environment that much more memorable um, and I think they proved that not only with the first game but also moving on to the second game but uh, it's remarkable we've gotten this far into our chat about Layers of Fear 2 and we haven't really mentioned puzzles at all I thought that they did a decent enough job at sort of adapting the puzzles to you being an actor in the w- world of film and these things whereas maybe in the original they weren't necessarily the puzzles weren't necessarily tied to being a painter in this I found moments like when you come across a camera and there's no door for you to get out of this room and then you have to move through the different frames of film till you find the one that has like a door on it or there's one where you find a door frame and then you have to find the door and then you have to find the lock and then you have to find the key and these are all different slides and you have to keep swapping between them until you get the correct uh, sequential order and then you can unlock and a door materializes. It's like little moments like that really, really stood out to me and I thought that they did a good job of adapting the this new persona that you're taking on or one of the personas, one of the three. Um, I thought they applied that better than in the original game because I didn't find outside of like the hub world, I didn't find that in Layers of Fear they necessarily did a great job of making you being a painter or having puzzles be related to you being a painter or a tortured artist in a way. But how did you find the puzzles in Layers of Fear 2? Yeah, absolutely. I think they did definitely improve this area of the game in that regard. I think, again, it's another strong suit for them. They do puzzle quite well. And here, as you said, they, they fit quite well with the theme. You know, again, you could then also come back and say, yes, but they don't always, you know, the themes themselves don't always connect with the story they're telling. But taking away from that, they still work with what they're given to. You know, that, that it makes sense with them. You know, throughout, they are thematic to the environment and the overall story that you're being given, which is important enough, I suppose. And yeah, I, they, they could have done no better than this with what they did. Between that and kind of like the one I had mentioned, the one uh, where you're basically going through the different stages of watering the shadow of a plant. I really loved that puzzle as well, just because it that is the most seamless blending of the surreal with logic in a way that I really, really liked. And I don't necessarily know that a majority of the puzzles abide by those sort of otherworldly principles in the same way that that puzzle does. Because there's the one that is like the gears puzzle where you're basically you're turning these gears and I thought that one was hard as hell by the way that took me far far longer than I care to admit but that is a more sort of just grounded logic and so to go from a puzzle like that which a majority of them are I suppose the film one that I mentioned earlier is also surreal but I just love the blending of the supernatural but the supernatural doesn't make the puzzles any less logical of course every puzzle needs to be logical so the fact that they're able to incorporate both of those elements and fundamentals I found it was a much more seamless blending of both the supernatural and the grounded portrayal which kind of fuels the game's overall 
you get to decide whether this is all reality or whether this is supernatural in a way that, again, I think I, uh, I definitely appreciate the more ambiguous nature of the overall narrative. But at the same time, the game world itself doesn't feel illogical, which is the most important element, I think, in terms of just your blending of those two elements. Because if you lean too hard into one camp, all of a sudden the meaning of it changes very drastically, but also it ends up being like, okay, well, some of this, some elements of this now seem far less relevant and feel like clutter rather than being imperative to this overall narrative. Yeah, and the smart thing about uh, puzzles like the plant puzzle are that it does still tie into film in itself because film is, uh, the earliest parts of film were almost seen as like illusions and tricks, you know, like that. And this is very much uh, the spirit of that. And a lot of you know what Layers of Fear does in, in its puzzles like that come into that. You know, this idea that you know, George Melly's films are very much front and foremost in, in this you know, where he was like the first real creative you know in a film and it, there's a lot of things like that the plant puzzle feels like it was inspired by that but not directly you know and in the best way that things like that are great in terms of sort of channeling you know this whole history of film and the magic of filmmaking that you know the other parts where it gets a bit more straightforward and a bit more unsubtle yeah, it it shows them up even more when it's like, see, you can prove that you can do these things smartly and you can do them yeah. really well and execute them without you know, bashing anyone over the head with it. And it's like, more like that is perfect. And it just proves again that you don't need the running away from monsters and things like that. You, you don't need to do that. I get it, again, because it is part of cinema, you know, the whole running away from the big bad beast. and That is... You know, a key staple of cinema so absolutely I get it it should be in there it, it, but not to the extent it is as we said you know I have to wonder if big piece of the sequel is that there is a fear of being labeled as Layers of Fear 1.5 or something like that if they don't make some drastic changes I think the game definitely has improvements on elements that worked in Layers of Fear but I think from, I don't know, maybe it's a broad generalization, but like I feel like a lot of consumers would look at a sequel that was just, they if they did not have drastic changes to the gameplay, then more people might be willing to label it as, well, it's just a haunted house, but now it's on a boat type thing, which to be fair, we would want that, right? I think we would want an experience that is more in line with exactly what the original was because we're on board for this type of narrative-led defenseless experience. We're there for this really fantastically written, voiced, and acted uh, narrative piece. And yet, I feel like they were trying to draw in more people with more of a gameplay element that feels superficial to this type of game. And I think that it's surprising, given their track record, that they felt the need to incorporate this element to the game. But again, like you had said, I would assume there must have been some type of outside influence saying, hey, you need to include this more gamey element. And if anything, the, the gamey element really kind of just exposes where their strengths lie. And I think that we can both appreciate sort of the shot that they took in terms of trying something new. At 100% always want them to strive to try something because potentially that will teach them a lesson in terms of what they can do in the future or something to that extent. But at the same time, it just shows that just because you're taking a shot, you need to make sure it is as refined as possible. Otherwise, you're sort of adding this 
uh, superfluous element that sort of pales in comparison to the true drive of what they do so well. And that can't be understated how well they are at crafting these atmospheric, haunting narratives and environments, but the other sort of gamey elements that veer it out of the lane that they have so eloquently sort of put themselves in kind of just detracts from the overall experience in a way that doesn't ruin the game by any means, but at the same time, it was sort of a, uh, a not glaring, but it was definitely a noticeable addition that does not feel needed. Credit's not given for how clever they can be with their games. I think it's a constant fight, maybe, where, you know, having the idea that you want to create something that's entertaining, but thoughtful. And you're going to hit and miss with that sort of stuff. Like I said, with the medium that came out recently, it's like, you know, there's stuff in there that is, you know, more mature, more insightful, but there's stuff in there that is like, I totally get why it would make people angry because it is really sort of poking the bear and making, manipulating the player in a way that isn't fair. You know, it's like, it's, you know, you can manipulate the player to believe something, absolutely, but not when it's to, you know, sympathise with someone who shouldn't be sympathised with, for instance. That, that can be questionable, especially when it, you know, it's something reprehensible. It's like, it, there's no way you should be sympathising with a certain character in that game at all, but the game sort of pushes that and normalises it, and it's a bit of a worry. It's a shame because so much of the game is good to that point in, in terms of how it deals with trauma. And I think it shows that as we're saying they have the ambition and the ideas to try these sort of things it's always difficult as we said with amnesia some people think that that was done right some people think it was done wrong you've got to shoot your shot though and as we were saying that's what's great about Paluva they will keep trying to fix the problems that they do have and then try new things and I, I always find their games interesting in that regard. Whatever I th- think of them in general, you know, they're not always great games at the end of it, and, but they are games I want to persevere with, you know, and, and see through to the end because I appreciate the vision they're going for. In looking towards the future for what Bluebird Games is able to do, like I would love for them to return to Layers of Fear in terms of a Layers of th- Fear 3, and it's just sort of even further honing not only their narrative chops, but also like I haven't played necessarily their most recent titles, but at the same time, I have to imagine that they all tried something a little bit different than Layers of Fear or Observer in a way that hopefully each of these games is teaching them a new lesson that they can sort of incorporate into the next potential Layers of Fear game. But this is definitely one of those games that I think you will appreciate the most if you have played, obviously, the original Layers of Fear, even though you don't have to have played the original to play this, but it makes me, as soon as I finished playing, I was like, okay, I need to reinstall Layers of Fear 1 and go back and just experience that. And then I think I will be able to truly sort of have a more, uh, a more just sort of falling through in terms of being able to appreciate the advancements that they made with Layers of Fear 2 and the elements of the original that they built upon. Because if anything, I think when I go back and replay it, it will make me appreciate the narrative chops of the sequel or it feel silly to even call it a sequel because they're so loosely related but in terms of their overall vision for these this sort of tormented artist motif and i was surprised at how fresh it felt even though it was very familiar in a way Um, i think that that was something they should definitely get credit for because again 
they very much avoided making this sort of feel like Layers of Fear 1.5, if you will. Um, and I think that their ability to sort of run with this similar idea, but then expand upon it in a way that makes for a five and a half hour or so experience that still has some really high highs, even if there are the occasional lows. I think, again, we were saying about how these games they make are, you know, impressive to look at despite, you know, the restraints placed on them. And the fact they get that sort of thing working on all sorts of platforms, the fact that we're talking about this game now as it comes out to Nintendo Switch, you know, it, it shows that they, they are adapting the games quite well. And I think that's why they uh, continue to have success because they reach a wider range of people by doing this. You know, because their games can work on it. I think the original layers of here you can get on mobile. You know, it's <laughs> so it, you know that just shows that they're out there to get their out there their message out there and how they do horror games. And I think they've said that they do probably want to try something different in the future. And I think it might be good for them, especially in the sense of they can get away from psychological trauma. Mm. which has become such a theme throughout the games that you, you start to worry that that would be... <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you may want to go to therapy, guys. You know? <laughs> it's like, it's, clearly, you've not got out of your system yet. <laughs> so, but, uh, I, yeah, I think... I've, I've said since Layers of Fear, they, they deserved a chance to keep trying things because they came from a point where they were just another developer out there making, you know, hum games that people didn't like and they made a game that was really bad you know by their own admission and it set them on a different course because they went and fixed that and started out making other things and I'm not joking the jump between their previous game and Layers of Fear is astronomical you know it's I think that's why it was all the more surprising for me at the time you know from playing it was that here's this game from a developer that made a shitty Bomberman game and then made a slightly better version of that shitty Bomberman game. You know, which, given all they did with it, it was a miracle they made it better. And But then to jump on and made this impressive-looking, seamless horror game, you know, that, uh, sure, it borrows here, there, and everywhere from other games. What didn't, you know, during that time period between Amnesia and Amnesia Rebirth, you know, it lots of games did it but it stood out because it very much stuck to its vision of like here this is what we're doing you know this is our theme this is how we're going to do it we're not going to rely on this that and that and that's probably why it makes Layers of Fear a bit disappointing as a sequel for Layers of Fear 2 is that it sort of deviates from that a bit too much you know and tries to go too far with too many different things I think uh, in because they want it to be more ambitious you know, and as we said, that's unfortunately the problem with ambition is that you're going to fail and mess up with stuff sometimes in the pursuit of trying something to one-up your last projects. Yeah, and I think uh, taking a step away from psychological horror or horror in general would, if anything, it would only boost their creative ambition for the next time they want to make a horror project, right? It's this idea, if you only have one discipline in something, that one discipline after a while, might kind of become a, a similar one note, right? This idea that you're not really... It, you have to be open to lots of different things, whatever those may be, in terms of like mo- a multitude of experiences are ultimately going to influence 
everything in a way that fosters more creativity, fosters more sort of imagination in some regards. So I would really love to see them, yeah, try something new for their next project. But of course, as successful as they've been with psychological horror, of course, they're going to return eventually to that. And I think that a brief uh, a brief stay away from horror might, in fact, foster their next horror hit in a way that I think we would be fully uh, on board with no matter what that what form that may take but uh neil as always it's a pleasure chatting horror with you for uh, safe room thank you for listening to another episode of safe room please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform and for updates on the show follow us on twitter at safe room pod thanks again for listening and we'll see you guys next week <laughs>